Sentire media. Hello everyone and welcome to A History of Italy. Episode 29, New Millennium, Nationalist Myths, Same Old Mess. A new millennium has dawned on the history of Italy. So what can we expect from it? Will all the warring nobles in Italy put their differences aside in the name of unity and homeland? Will the popes see the error of their ways and lead upright moral lives and work towards bringing peace to mankind? Will we see the dawn of a shining new era for the peninsula now that the threat of impending millennial doom has passed? Well, not really. However, although to start with it will sound like the same old, same old, we may start to look at some elements of novelty in the next few episodes. First, let's go to our Emperor Watch. We saw that Otto III had died suddenly, at the very young age of 22, leaving no heirs in 1002. So the German nobility had to fight it out. In the end, it was one of Otto's cousins, Henry of Bavaria, who won out and became king with the name of Henry II. Although he was not in the direct line of descent, he was still a Saxon. Now, you will remember that there was a three-point checklist to become Holy Roman Emperor. Step 1. Get crowned King of Germany. Step 2. Get crowned King of Italy. And finally, Step 3. Get the Pope to crown you Holy Roman Emperor and Bob's your uncle. So, it was time for Step 2. However, when Henry peeked over the Alps to look into sorting out Step 2, he found that while he was struggling to become king of Germany, some sneaky little noble had taken his place. Henry had become king of Germany either on the 6th of June or the 9th of July, in summer anyway, while on the 15th of February 1002, Arduin, Marquis of Ivrea, had been crowned king of Italy in Pavia. Now, where on earth had this guy come from? It's worth taking a look at him because nationalist Italian historians have taken him completely out of context and proportion. Indeed, they have elevated him to the position of the first Italian, seeing in this marquis the champion of an early dawn of Italian unity, of an Italian nation before the concept of nation was even thought of. Well, first of all, Arduin was of Germanic origin, being a descendant of a family that had come down with either the Lombards or the Franks. Furthermore, he hadn't even the slightest desire to create a new Italian homeland. He was one of the many local lords who was trying to get his hands on as much land as possible, just a little more ambitious and successful, and maybe lucky than many others. To consolidate his power over the march, he had had to deal with the Bishop of Vercelli in Piedmont. So he killed him, burned his body and destroyed his cathedral and then took the lands that had been given to the Bishop by Adelaide of Italy 
the wife of Otto I. This earned him a stern warning from Otto III, who was still alive at the time, and a threat of excommunication from Pope Sylvester II. In response, Arduin simply proceeded to deal with the Bishop of Ivrea, who kept his life but lost his lands. Next, it was the Bishop of Brescia who refused to pay homage to Arduin, so he was very gently convinced by being grabbed by the hair and thrown to the floor and kicked until he submitted. In general, Arduin's tactic, besides kicking bishops, was to set the lower clergy against the higher clergy and the lower nobles against the higher ones, as well as rousing the xenophobic peasants against the Germans. A situation that Henry II would also have to recognize and deal with when he finally made his way into Italy. Arduin was crowned by Michele, Bishop of Pavia, who was obviously on his side, as were the the Aleramici and the Obertengi family, and also the bishops of Asti and Como. Rounding off the pro-Arduins was the abbot of the important monastery of Bobbio. Arrayed against the new king were Leo of Vercelli, Tedaldo of Canossa, the bishops of Parma, Reggio Emilia and Piacenza, the Archbishop of Ravenna and the Venetian doge Pietro II Orseolo and most importantly Arnulf of Milan. We even have a list of the undecided on the fence group which included the Archbishop of Milan, Boniface of Tuscia and the Marquis Olderico Manfredi. Now, I have absolutely no intention of making you try and remember all these names. This is just to give you an example of how local nobles could line up behind or against a duke, king or emperor in any given situation. These groups couldn't even be fixed because when the next issue popped up, they could be completely different according to the interests of each noble and area in any other given moment. In any case, when word finally arrived in Italy, that indeed there was a new king in Germany, it was Arnulf of Milan who convened a diet of anti-Arduin nobles who then sent for Henry II to come and claim his rightful crown as king of Italy. Henry was a bit busy at the time sorting things out in Germany, and in general he wasn't as keen on Italy as the Ottos had been. So he sent another Otto, the Duke of Carinthia, down in his stead. However, this army was defeated by Arduin at the Battle of Fabrica in 1002. Unfortunately for Arduin, despite his great victory, he wasn't really able to press his advantage. Part of the reason was to see, was to see how the new pope would weigh in. We'll look into that in a few minutes. Arduin's hesitation allowed the League arrayed against him to regroup and put their full support behind Henry II when he finally came down with an army in the spring of 1004. This time there was no battle. When Arduin's army saw the German troops swelled by those of Tedaldo of Canossa, Federico, Archbishop of Ravenna, and other supporters of the German king, it simply melted away. Therefore, Henry was able to enter Verona and then Milan unopposed, 
and then to be finally crowned King of Italy on the 13th of May, 1004. This was after the citizens of Pavia had revolted against the German troops in the city and the revolt had had to be put down, also with the help of the Canossa. That was it for Arduin's adventures. He survived, shutting himself up in his castle above Ivrea. He ended up dying of old age in 1015. Little did he know that his little two-year adventure would one day become the heroic story of the first Italian king for those looking for the seeds of an Italian identity. Now that Arduin was out of the way, Henry II, King of Germany, King of Italy, could now look to point three on his checklist, becoming Holy Roman Emperor, and the place to go for that was Rome. So let's pop back once again and see what that fun lot were up to. Well, you'll remember that Otto III had died trying to get back into Rome. As soon as news reached the city of the emperor's death, the son of the beheaded Crescenzio Crescenzi, called Giovanni, took power with the usual title of patrician. Now, we've mentioned before that the Crescenzi family had managed to marry into the very powerful Tuscolo family. But that doesn't mean that these families were all lovey-dovey. No, they hated each other. As if that wasn't complicated enough, the Crescenzi family further divided into the Stefaniani faction and the Ottaviani faction. The former, the Stefaniani, were interested in consolidating local power, for example, managing to gain power over Spoleto, as well as the Sabina area, where they already held sway. On the other hand, the latter, Ottaviani faction, were more into the whole getting in with the empire business, so they were into alliances, even, if necessary, with the hated Tuscolo family. They were based in the south of the Lazio area. Anyway, this is another digression which we can do without if you want to forget it. So, after the death of Otto III, Pope Sylvester II was still alive, and allowed into Rome, thanks to the permission of Giovanni Crescenzi. One wonders how safe he felt, living in the city now ruled by the son and widow of the murdered Crescenzio. Indeed, he was more of a prisoner than a ruler in the city, and he didn't last long. He died a year later, possibly poisoned by the widow of Crescenzio Crescenzi. With Sylvester II gone, the Crescenzi family put one of their own men as Pope and, with a stunning touch of originality, called him John XVII. This was autumn, and the brand new John lasted all the way to November. Since the Crescenzi were absolutely determined to have another John on the papal throne, they stuck another one, John XVIII. Now I can hear you saying, Hold on! Wait a minute, what about the whole privilegium autonis thing? Wasn't it supposed to be the emperor to decide the pope? Well, Henry II wasn't too bothered really. In the end, John and the Crescenzi family tried to keep him happy. Plus, Henry was generally rather pro-church. He ended up being canonized after all. And let's face it, if he could learn anything from recent history... 
it was that it was very difficult to impose one's will on the Romans, so it would be a good idea to leave well enough alone. Something really weird happened to this Pope. He wasn't murdered. Not only was he not murdered, but he actually resigned before dying. Indeed, in 1009, seeing how so many of his predecessors had ended up, he opted for early retirement. In his place, the Crescenzi put Pietro Bocca di Porco, or Bocca di Pecora, as Pope. Now, I looked into this name a bit, and it seems to be a sort of surname and not a nickname. Basically, he was either Sheepmouth or Pigmouth. In any case, whatever animal's mouth he may have had, as Pope, he took the name of Sergius IV. There's not a whole lot we can or actually need to say about his pontificate. But there was one thing which may actually have been made up after his death, but anyway. It is during his papacy that the Holy Sepulchre in Jerusalem was destroyed by Mansur al-Hakim, and it seems that Sergius IV may have omitted a papal bull issuing a call to arms to free the Holy Land. If this were true, it would have been the first inkling of what would later in the century become something that would dramatically influence world history, the Crusades. Sergius made it to 1012, and shortly after Giovanni Crescenzio also died, the Tuscolo Ottaviani family were able to get the upper hand and put Benedict VIII on the throne of St. Peter. It was he who finally crowned Henry II as Holy Roman Emperor in 1013. So, we'll close there for now, leaving things in a delicate balance. The Emperor and the Northern Italians, the Romans, the Southern Italians, and the Pope. How had they managed this balance? Well, as is often the case, it was an external threat which temporarily brought the Italians together, and that threat came once again in the form of the Saracens. Next time we'll have a look at those Saracens and their raids, and we'll also stop to have a peek over at Sardinia, which we haven't spoken much about, and then in the episode after that we'll get back and see how Henry II ended up. As always, thank you very much to everyone for listening. Thanks in particular to my Patreon donors, Sen, Jay, Shelby, Stephen, Vincenzo, Benjamin, Jeff, Sean, Preston, Roberta, and welcome, Chris, to the new family of Patreon supporters. Remember that if you would like to support the show, you can also donate on PayPal at www.ahistoryofitaly.com. In any case, if you would take the time to subscribe, rate, and review the podcast, that would also be really helpful. Remember, you can get in touch as well, hello at ahistoryofitaly.com, and on the website, you can click through to our social media, in particular Facebook and Twitter. Thanks again very much to everyone for listening, and until next time, arrivederci.
Sentire Media. Hey, podcast producers and show hosts. Do you want to join a podcast network that celebrates all things Italian? At Sentire Media, we understand the allure of Italy and its unique culture. Our devoted team of hosts and producers are all driven by their shared passion for Italy. And we work tirelessly to create the best lifestyle podcasts and content that will whisk you away to the very heart of Italy. With us, you can savor the mouth-watering flavors, get lost in the stories from the past, break down the cultural barriers, and truly immerse yourself in the vibrant traditions of this intoxicating country. If you have a great podcast idea or are already in production and would like to join Sentire Media, head over to sentiremedia.com, that's S-E-N-T-I-R-E media.com, and find out how to submit your show.